me ask you a question. What if I said, hey, such and such church is really spiritual, really spiritual church. What would that mean to you? Like conjure ideas like uh, maybe they're really into the charismatic gifts. Or maybe like they're holier than thou, holy rollers. Maybe they're weird. Right? Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe they're new age. What's that mean that they're spiritual? So we're studying our way through 1 Corinthians. You've got to know the Christians in Corinth, they used the word spiritual a lot. They were all about being spiritual. They were pretty sure they were spiritual. And what Paul is going to say to them this morning is essentially this. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Any Princess Bride fans out there, right? You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Uh, and they, they don't get it. So Paul's going to help us understand what does it mean to be spiritual. So we're picking it up. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Picking it up there, he said, uh, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. All right, that cleared it all up, right? Now you know what spiritual means. What we, what we notice, quite obviously, that it's about the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be Paul's point. Listen, spiritual means it's of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit working in there, you ain't spiritual. That's what he's going to talk about. So we're going to begin by talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Uh, First, I want to talk about who, where, and what. Who, where, and what about the Holy Spirit. The who is this. See from the passage, the Holy Spirit is God. Period. It it says in there that the Holy Spirit searches the depths of God. Now understand, God himself is infinite. Do Do you understand how deep those depths are? Who in the world can search the depths of an infinite God? Only the infinite God himself. That's, that's the only one who could possibly do that. And it says that the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. Okay, how about this? What am I thinking right now? I hate the squealers. Now, you should have guessed that. You didn't know that, though, right? You didn't know that. And the reason you didn't know that is because you are you and I am me. I know my own thoughts. You don't know my thoughts. And so what it says is that the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. As your spirit is to you, so the spirit of God is to God. That is legit God. That's God. But I want to make sure you don't go in a direction that some sometimes go. So, so understand this. The Holy Spirit is personal. Okay? Look, it says that he does things. He searches reveals, knows, comprehends. All those things are in our passage. That's why when we refer to the Holy Spirit with a pronoun, we do not say it. We say he. 
We would say he of the Father. We would say he of the Son. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. He is not an impersonal force. He's personal. Now what that does is that have us, has us knocking on the door of the Trinity now. And you all understand the Trinity perfectly, right? Let me just touch on it for giggles, okay? Uh, so the Trinity, basically, there is one and only one true God. And he is eternally existent in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully and equally God. All good now, right? <laughs> okay, so that's, here's the thing, it's mind-blowing. I understand that you don't quite get that. I'm okay with that. Listen, scientists tell us that the human brain is about the size of two fists. I want you to do something with me. Take both your hands, make fists with both of them, put them together. Okay? That's about the size of your brain. Now, some of you are like, but my hands are really small. Okay? It explains a lot. You know, like, sorry, don't kill the messenger. All right. So, so that's about the size of my brain. I have a category that the fact that the size of this little human brain can't fully comprehend the very essence and nature of who God is. I get that I don't get it. You see that? That's okay with me when we talk about the essence of God. But make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is God himself, fully God. That's who he is. Now, where is he? Well, the Holy Spirit is inside of Christians. In verse 12 there, it says that we have received him. Okay, but let me, let me give you a little bit more than that. If we skip ahead to chapter 3, in, in chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, it says this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are are that temple. We weren't the first temple of God. Remember, there was a temple in Jerusalem. And in that temple, in the Holy of Holies, is where God's manifest presence was on earth. That was separated by a veil, a very thick veil, huge, tall, wide. God on one side, man on this and the other. We're separated. We can't be together. We're not holy enough. He's nothing but holy. And what happened when Jesus Christ was crucified, you remember? The veil tore in two. From top to bottom, God didn't. We didn't tear it up. He tore it down. And in that moment, God pours out of his temple. But listen, God will not be temple-less. He just went into his new temple. Where's his new temple? We just read it, right? Inside of Christians. That is where the temple is. Now, this is a big deal. Listen, God the Father knows the depths of God. Why didn't Paul talk about the Father here? Because it's not just that you are God and know the depths of God, but it's the Holy Spirit that's at residence inside of Christians. That's the difference maker, that he's right here inside. So if you're a Christian, I want you to do something right now. I want you to, you're going to do it for a little bit. Look down at your chest. Like, kind of look down inside of you. And while you're looking right there, keep looking there. And I want you to think, I'm a Christian. The Holy Spirit of God is inside me right now. And say something with me. Say, holy crap. And I'd say, no, Holy Spirit. <laughs> gotcha. Right? The Holy, are you kidding me? 
The very Holy Spirit of God is at resonance inside my life. That's crazy. It's crazy. That's who he is. That's where he is. Now let's talk about what he does in us. And so we'll look back at our passage. And it says some things. It says like he reveals the thoughts of God to us so that we might understand. He searches us. It says he searches everything. By the way, that includes you. So that's where conviction comes from at times. He teaches us. He impacts our speech. All these things. Now, but remember where he is. He does this from inside of us. Let me get at it this way. Have you ever daydreamed? Like, what would it have been like to be one of the original 12 disciples? Would that have just been awesome? Like, to walk, like Jesus is right there. And I can talk to him and I can ask him questions and hear from him and walk with him and see what he does. Wouldn't that be great? Have you people not read the four Gospels? Those 12 were idiots. They were knuckleheads. Judas was one of those. Jesus right there. Didn't move the needle much, did it? Like that's actually maybe not the best plan. In fact, Jesus told us that. Toward the end of his time on earth, before his crucifixion and resurrection, ascension and all that, in John 16 verse 7, he says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. If you read through the scriptures, the helper is quite clearly the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, listen, this gig with me right here beside you is not the best. It's to your advantage. It's better if I go away and send the Holy Spirit. Why is that better? Two reasons. One, we all get an all-access pass. When Jesus is there in physical form, it's take a number, stand in line. If you're talking to him, I can't right now. I've got to wait my turn. Holy Spirit inside all of us, you go to God anytime you want, all of us at the same time, giddy up. All access. And then the second thing is that this is now internal, not external. External is religion. External, I try and I try and I try, but there's no grace. Now, he's saying, no, 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 we're going on a different system. Now it's going to be inside you. He, the Holy Spirit, will be inside of you. That's a power source. Let me explain it this way. You've been wondering why we had tools up here. So I brought these things from home. And now, let's say that I want to cut this block of wood right here. Maybe I'm putting in some crypts, and I need it shortened. So I need a little bit shorter block of wood. So, all right, good to go. All right, I got two saws. I got a choice here. I can go with the hand saw to cut this, or I can go with a circular saw. Which one do you think is going to be easier? Not, not a tough choice, right? You, you, I should use the circular saw. Now, number one, I'm not going to cut in here because the custodians would kill me. But you guys asked for it, so that's what I'm going to do. Right? Well, this isn't what you had in mind, is it? Right? Could you imagine if I tried to cut? Give me a little bit here. I'm going to be a minute. Like, could, would that be frustrating or what? For many of you, that's your Christian life. You were intended to live the Christian life plugged into a power source called the Holy Spirit. And you are living unplugged from the power source. And this is your Christian life all day long. And you're wondering, why is it so frustrating? 
It's a difference between internal and external. That's why it's to our advantage that Jesus went away from us. And now he has a better plan that the Holy Spirit is inside of us that's internal instead of external. That's what he does in us. He's a power source. Now, the thing I want you to catch, though, is that this is true for Christians, not for non-Christians. It's not true for everyone. Look at the next bit of the, the letter. Picking it up in chapter 2, verse 14. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What? <laughs> okay, what was all that? All right, um, let me break it down this way. It talks about the natural person. That is someone who is not spiritual. You don't have the Holy Spirit, which means you haven't come to Christ. You are a non-Christian. You are not saved. No Holy Spirit inside of you. And therefore, spiritual things just seem like folly. It just seems like foolishness to this person. Now, to be fair, what we believe is completely foolish. Unless it's true. <laughs> unless it's true. But let me tell you some of the things we believe, people. We believe that there's an unseen God that spoke this whole universe into existence. Okay? We, we believe in Noah and the flood and uh, the Pharaoh and the plagues and the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We believe that God chose the Jews as a unique people. We believe that he came through the Jews as the Messiah. We believe in a virgin birth, for crying out loud. We, we believe that in that moment, God took on human flesh, so Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. We believe that. We believe he did that to go to the cross, and at the crucifixion, he accomplishes our atonement to welcome us back to God. Really? Some guy on a cross 2,000 years ago. We believe that it's all by grace. And that's in contrast to every other world religion. You don't have to earn it. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that he's coming back for us. You understand, this is folly, and you would not believe it either if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you come to believe that. Now, the Holy Spirit within, I want you to think of him as an interpreter uh, because that's how he operates, uh, as an interpreter for us. So think of foreign languages. I speak a little bit of Spanish. Un poquito, más o menos. I speak a little bit, I can understand a little bit. One of the things that helps me in that is it's one of the Romance languages, so it uses the same letters. A lot of the words look similar. Good to go. But when it comes to Asian languages, I'm like completely lost. Right? You are, a lot of you are too, right? Different characters that look really strange to us. The sounds. Listen, when it comes to Mandarin, like, like if I'm hearing somebody speak Mandarin, I am 100% completely lost unless I have an interpreter. What Paul is saying is, folks, listen, you got to understand, Christianity is more like Mandarin, less like Spanish. And if you don't have an interpreter, you won't understand it at all. It'll be just total gobbledygook to you. You won't get a word. And the Holy Spirit is that translator. 
So the, the spiritual person is the Christian who has the Holy Spirit, has that translator within. Therefore, these things make sense to us. But, as it says in the passage, he is to be judged by no one. Now, we love that, right, in our culture today. You can't judge me. Don't be judgy. Okay, great. Understand this. In this letter, Paul's going to get judgy. There's going to be some Christians that are out of step, and he's going to call them to the carpet. So, wait, then what's this mean? And in context, what this means is that Christians are not to be judged by non-Christians on spiritual matters. After all, they don't have the translator. It's all folly to them. They can't understand it. So that's the way it is. Now, think, if you will, of foreign languages. Already told you that, right? The, the, the thing where we can't understand it unless he translates it. So, the non-Christian, lacking that, lacks spiritual discernment, then don't, listen folks, don't be surprised when the non-Christian thinks your faith is foolish. That's not surprising. Don't be threatened by that. Jesus is okay. You're okay. That's okay. And what that means then is we can't argue somebody into the faith. They lack the spiritual tools. Time out, though. I didn't say they lack the intellectual tools. They might be way smarter than you. They're probably smarter than me. But they lack the spiritual tools. They can comprehend it, but they can't appreciate it. It's foolishness to them, so they reject it. Now, what do we do with that? Well, that means that discussing the gospel is really good ministry. When you discuss the gospel with somebody, that might be the very moment that the Holy Spirit invades and turns the light on, and they get it, right? But arguing the gospel is a fool's errand. You, you're, in that case, you're arguing with somebody that will not get it because it's Mandarin to them. And so what we do sometimes is we argue the gospel and we frustrate them and we frustrate ourselves and that's not good ministry. We don't need to argue. Yes, discuss, don't argue. Okay? Now, so far through the letter then, what we have are two categories. We have super spiritually dull non-Christians and we have super spiritually awesome Christians. We're fantastic. We're just awesome. Now, before you get too cocky over that, Paul does have a few more things to say. So we continue in chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For where, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So remember that the Corinthian Christians would, would have up until this, before this passage, be like, yeah, we the spiritual folk. And Paul's like, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, right? So, so they're going, wait, wait, wait. I thought we were spiritual. Like, I thought we had the mind of Christ. I thought we had superpowers. 
No, you don't. The Holy Spirit does. And he lives inside you, but you're not yielding to him. You're not being influenced by him, and so it doesn't apply to you right now. And Paul's writing to this ancient church, and he's saying, you know what, you guys, listen, your city is a dumpster fire, and your church is more like the city and less like the Holy Spirit, and so your church is a dumpster fire, and your lives, they're dumpster fires. You are acting merely human, not spiritual. You're acting of the flesh. He says that three times in there. And instead of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit within us, what we're doing at times is we are being influenced by the world around us. And that ain't good. You say, well, well, Pastor, maybe they weren't Christians. But Paul calls them brothers. And then he refers to them as infants, look at it, in Christ. They're Christians. They're believers. They're just really immature. Let me show you what that can look like. So I have here three glasses of milk. And those represent three lives. And at this moment, they're non-Christians. So I also have here the Holy Spirit. And he's delicious. Because he's Hershey's syrup. Okay? So now this one uh, does not receive Christ. Uh, Does not receive the Holy Spirit. No influence there. But these two are going to come to Jesus. So they come to Christ, and because they come to Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. They are the temple of God. The temple of God, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in their lives. So here's our non-Christian, and here's one of our Christians. Can you see the difference? You can't. Can you? You can't see that at all. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but... But no difference. Now, let me take this Christian right here. The point is not just to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The point is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? To let him take over every area of your life, to respond to him. Now, what I'm going to have is I've got, take the non-Christian here. Look, you see a difference now, right? This one is delicious, okay? Like, so, and, and it, It tastes like the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. It's not just to be indwelt, but to be filled with Him. So what what Paul is saying is that a lot of his audience to whom he's writing is right here in the middle. Yeah, you're Christians. Yeah, you have the Holy Spirit. But you are really of the world. Because you can squelch the Holy Spirit within you. You can ignore Him instead of yielding to Him. And I think that middle glass might represent a lot of you. And right about now you might be going, I don't think I like where this is going. (laughs) I understand. Maybe you are a Christian, but not maturing spiritually. And if you want to know, Paul gives two pieces of evidence in those four verses right there. He talks about a spiritual diet and how you treat people as evidence. And let's talk about those. So for the spiritual diet, he says they are infants in Christ. But then look, he says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. Now listen, there is absolutely nothing wrong with a baby eating baby food. 
parents, tip for you. You got a newborn baby, you give the kid a steak. Parent fail, right? There, like bad. Kid's going to choke and die. Not good. Don't do it, right? Nothing wrong with a baby eating mashed carrots. Here's the thing. When you're 25 years old, and you go to take that girl out on a date, and, and you sit down, and the server comes, and uh, she orders. You let her order first because you're a gentleman, okay? So she orders. And then the server turns towards you and say, hey, what do you want? And you say, oh, no, no, I'm good. And you reach in your coat pocket and you pull out your mashed carrots. And you say, oh, but do you happen to have a really small spoon, maybe rubber-coated? That would be so helpful. Mmm, right? Not cool, okay? When a baby is eating baby food, totally appropriate. When a 25-year-old is eating baby food, not appropriate. And that makes me think of Pastor Austin. Everything I'm about to say is not only 100% true, but also shared with his permission. So, uh, when Pastor Austin came to us, he did not have what we would call the most mature diet, okay? He was in his young 20s. He had never yet eaten an apple. What? (laughs) He didn't eat any vegetables to the point he wouldn't eat iceberg lettuce, which is pretty much water, right? Kid you not, he goes to Taco Bell, orders a taco with no lettuce. Who does that? He still does it to this day. It was all chicken nuggets and French fries and cookies. Oh, not oatmeal raisin. That's of the devil, right? Like, so, so, like, that's how he ate. We, I even remember a staff event we had where we catered in. I think it was like Panera or something like that. It was buffet style and all that. Somebody had to special order him a grilled cheese sandwich. I said, did you cut the crust off for him? Like, come on, come on. Listen, what was going on there? He was in his 20s, but he ate like a five-year-old. Then he got married, and Crystal's done a lot of good work. And now he eats like a 10-year-old. So we're we're going in the right direction here, going in the right direction. The point is this. Diet matters. And it's okay for babies to eat like babies. But Paul is saying you should mature your diet because of the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You should mature your diet over time. Let me tell you a few things that might look like. Number one, being self-fed. One of the things that you know a baby, because a baby doesn't put food in her own mouth. Somebody has to go, here you go. Here you go. By the way, right now, you're being spoon-fed. Okay? I'm putting food in your mouth. And if your entire diet involves coming in here, sitting down and receiving from a pastor, and you lack the ability to open a Bible on your own and feed yourself, you want to mature past that. It's, listen, if that's where you are, it's okay. No judgment, no shame. All right? But we want you to move past that, not stay there. It's okay for babies to eat like babies. She wants you to grow up eventually. The second thing is meat. And my apologies to the vegetarians for the fact that you're vegetarians. <laughs> but, uh, no, we're all on the same team. Listen, meat. Is your entire spiritual diet just milk devotionals? Or are you able to digest a good biblical steak? And I'll tell you what. There are even some very popular preachers that are really offering up milk devotionals. And it is all pithy, Reader's Digest, motivational speaking. And there's not a lot of meat. You need some meat. Now, you also need some veggies. 
need some veggies in there. As you mature, you start to realize that nutrition is not just about taste. It's about, well, nutrition. Listen, if it was only about taste, I would only eat bacon and baklava. That'd be it. And we'd have like big bone, Pastor Rick, right? I would not be healthy. So you got to eat your dang vegetables. You got to keep maturing, which means, yes, you won't understand a lick of it except for the Holy Spirit to translate it, but you need to put in effort. You need to put in discipline. You need to put in study. You need to eat your veggies. And then there's an issue of balance. And you probably think I'm going to talk about balanced diet, and that's not it. You need a balance between input and output. Babies don't have that. Have you ever noticed that babies lack a lot of muscle tone? They're kind of little blobs of flesh, so they're very, they're just pudgy. After all, what's a baby do? A baby lays there and is fed. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And the baby doesn't exercise at all. Unfortunately, that's a lot of Christians. Feed me, feed me, feed me, and you never exercise your faith. Notice, babies are consumers. They're never contributors. And that's immature. And if that's where you are, that's a good start, but we've got to get you past that. There has to be balance between input and output. And, and then the last thing that came to mind for me is humility. Now, maybe that's an interesting one when we talk about diet, but here, here's what I'm thinking. There's a natural progression in that first you are spoon-fed by others, and then as you grow up as a young child, you're able to put food in your own mouth. You're not spoon-fed. You feed yourself, but you don't choose your diet, right? Mom and dad choose your diet. Let's be honest. Mom chooses your diet, right? So, so that food's put on the table, and you feed yourself. But as you grow up, you become a teenager in your 20s. Now you control your own diet, and you eat like crap. So what we want to get you to next is what I call the CrossFitter phase. And this is where, like, you have a really good, wonderful, excellent, healthy, mature diet. And boy, are you cocky about it. <laughs> Love you, CrossFit. I only eat paleo. Well, good job, cowboy. Right? So, so, but that's, okay, see where we're going with humility, though? Because what I want you to do is I want you to have a diet like a CrossFitter, but I want you to have humility in that. Humility, so that you realize that your diet is not about impressing others. Your diet is simply about survival and health and growth. That's all it is. What am I saying? Don't read the Bible to impress people at community group. That's lame. Don't do that. Study because you need God to speak to you. Study because you need to be changed. You need to grow. I'll be honest with you. This is a pastoral liability. When I go to the Word of God, there's such a draw in my life that I read a passage and I go, oh, I know how I can teach them that. Implication is you need to grow, I don't. You realize how dangerous that is in my life? I am disciplined that I regularly go to the Word of God for me because I'm weak, I'm needy, I'm desperate. God, will you speak to me? That's humility. And that's where we need to get in our diet where I'm just eating for me. Remember, the Holy Spirit will give you understanding, but we need to choose a maturing spiritual diet. Now, I told you, if you looked at the passage, there were two things. There's spiritual diet, but then there's also how you treat other people. So remember, they thought that they were spiritual, 
But if you look in there, there's jealousy, there's strife, there's divisions. They're on their own little team sniping at each other. Oh my goodness. They prided themselves on being spiritual because they had spiritual knowledge and they had spiritual gifts and they talked in spiritual ways, but they were mean. They were mean. This is when you can win at Bible trivia, but you're a jerk. And you think it's okay to be a jerk, even when speaking on Jesus' behalf, because you're on social media, and so somehow that makes it okay. Man. Paul's like, nope, don't like that. No bueno. And he's saying, make no mistake, you are not spiritual. Not when you're acting like that. No way. Spiritual means to be filled by the Holy Spirit, led by Him to be more like Jesus. But you guys are just mean. And that's not, Paul's saying, that's not the influence of the Holy Spirit, no matter what you call it. You want to know how you can be a better, better spouse, a better parent, a better child, a better teammate, a better friend? better employer, employee, how you can be a better church member, better disciple. You're not going to do it apart from the Holy Spirit, period. It's only the spirituality that God gives us, that is to be of the Spirit, to be influenced. That's the only way. And even if you are a Christian, it doesn't matter if, if you are under the influence of the world and the flesh instead of the Word and the Spirit, then you are not spiritual. Because when you are truly spiritual, it will come out in how you treat people. Let's say that again. If you are truly spiritual, it will come out in how you treat people. Now, I want to bring these two things together. Spiritual diet and how we treat people. Because I think there's a balance here. Some Christians are like really nice, right? And they have a crappy diet. Spiritual diet. And then there's other Christians who eat theology for breakfast. And they're jerks. And Paul's like, neither of you are spiritual. Neither. Right? What do you want in a church? Do you want a church that has like great doctrine and everybody's jerks? Or do you want a, a church that is so nice but teaches garbage? You ever play those would you rather games where it's like two bad choices? There's, there's small choice in rotten apples. I don't want to be either of those churches. So sometimes as pastors, we get people, hey, we, we need to study end time stuff. We're like, you don't even know how to walk with Jesus. You don't know how, how to be a good spouse, how to give, how to serve, how to reach out to your neighbor, how to be nice. But you think we need to study eschatology. That's cute. And then, and then there's people, well, well, no, we just need to be nice and serve people. Problem, we're not nice. There's the depravity of man. Oops, there I went getting theological. <laughs> and so we need to actually study and figure out how to do that. You see, there's got to be both of these. There's got to be both. Does it sound complicated? Like right about now, I'm hoping that you're confused, going, yeah, I don't know what to do with this. I, I, it just seems like an overwhelming task. It seems too high for me, too complicated. And you know what? You're absolutely right. I got I to gotta tell you guys something. You were never intended to live the Christian life. You can't. Quit trying. God wants you to allow the Holy Spirit, with his energy, with his power, to live that life through you. 
That's, that's an entirely different thing. Listen, I'm hoping right now that you have faith in God. But I have a rude awakening for you. God doesn't have faith in you. Sorry, I know that doesn't go great on a greeting card. But God doesn't have faith in you. God has faith in God. And that's why for our salvation, he put it on Jesus. Because God has faith in God. And for your sanctification, for you to live the Christian life, he puts it on the Holy Spirit. God has faith in God. And so he put the Holy Spirit within you that you might respond to him and therefore live it out. Listen, if it seems complicated, it ain't. All you got to do is yield your life to the Holy Spirit and say, God, lead me today. I want you to be spiritual in that way this week. Let me pray for that. Father, thank you very much that you believe in you. And we do too. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. And thank you that you chose a plan that it's not work harder, Christian. Work harder. But yield more. Because you'll do the work for us and through us and in us. I know we have to yield. I know we have to listen. I know we have to respond. Father God, I'm praying that these, my people, will be really spiritual this week. And that they would be filled by the Spirit, responding to the Spirit, moment by moment, asking the Spirit to lead. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.